When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Yeah, I was waiting for him to go, it's Percy Jackson. Turn to the camera. And the Olympians on <laughs> Disney Plus Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. You know, all things. Good. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 31-year-old man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid. I read them as an adult. I covered them on my podcast to determine if it was a book series that society has been sleeping on. I said yes, and now we're seeing if the whole series has been slept on, and the TV show has now reached its conclusion. Has the world woken up? We shall see. But to cover the finale of season one of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, I'm joined by a very special guest, my bestest friend in the whole wide world, and my wife. It's Kelly Schuber. Kelly, how's it going? Hello. Hi. It's an honor to have you back on the podcast. Oh, yes. The honor is all mine. <laughs> it's great to be here with you in our closet. <laughs> this is our closet, aka the auxiliary Shubio. Mm-hmm, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is the one I have a second guest on the studio in person closet. And I'm excited to have you back on the show because a lot of people have been clamoring for your return. It's been a minute since you've been on and people have been wondering, where's the Kelly? Well, Kelly has been saved for episode eight in traditional TNO form, which is always having you for the end of something. So we've had you now on for the end of the TV show. Wow, I'm so honored. Yeah. Now, have we asked you, I think we've asked you all the questions. Have we asked you the, what is your fatal flaw question? Yet, that's one of the newer ones. And I don't know if you've been on the show since someone sent that in to me as a suggestion. I think that you asked me this question and I think I gave the perfect interview answer of I try too Ah, hard and I'm too perfect and I work too much. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Classic. (laughs) But actually that was and I think I then mentioned this as well. That actually was my um, year end review two years in a row was. You tried too hard to make this perfect. Just make it work. (laughs) Well, there you go. It's valid. It is legit. I am very excited to talk about the finale with you overall. What were just your thoughts about episode eight before we dive into it further? I thought it was a really good episode. I thought it was a very fun ending. A lot of action in the last episode. And... I was just so excited to see how they ended it. I was excited to see the Ares fight, which we get to. I was excited to see Luke come back, which we get to. A lot of really exciting things, and I think they did it very well. I agree. So let's get into it. Episode 8 starts, and it's funny because it's something I talked about with Johnny in our previous episode, which is, you know a show means business when in one of the episodes, five minutes worth of stuff happens, and only then do they show the title card. But then what they did for this episode is the next level up version of that, which is title card at the start. We can't waste any time. (laughs) Like We're not taking any sort of break. The momentum will not stop. Full speed ahead all Mm -hmm. the way. You're here for Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Here's the title screen. Let's get into it. And what I love is we are picking up this episode with the continuation of where we had the last episode end, which is, oh boy, Ares fight. Here we go. Yes. But 
It really begins with the voiceover from Luke in a way that kind of mimics Percy's voiceover to start episode one yes, and to start the I book. I love this. It's it was really cool. So cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not surprised that you enjoyed it since you are a fan of the book from other people's perspective fan. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, if I like a series, I'll read it from any character's perspective. Okay. You are going to read. The, I mean, I was trying to think of a, a boring character in Percy Jackson to give it as an example, but I don't think there's any boring ones. I mean, for example, Puffs was a mm-hmm. boring yep. character mm-hmm. of Hogwarts telling the story of Harry Potter, and it was amazing. That's a really good play. It's a really, really solid play. So what is also so smart about this is before the fight begins, we get the training flashback of Percy, so it all makes sense. So I've good. been wondering about this for episodes and episodes. How the heck is Percy Jackson, who has zero sword training, going to beat Ares in a fight? Oh, that's how. Because he's already had sword training with Lou. <laughs> I believe the last time we saw him doing any kind of training at Camp Half-Blood, he was in the process of trying to figure out who his godly parent was by looking at his talents, and he had zero talents. Yeah, it was a montage of failure. Yes. Not exactly what you want. Yeah, it was a montage of failure and funny dances. Yes. So it didn't instill a lot of confidence about his Ares sword fighting abilities. Right. So we have Luke explaining fighting and all those related things to Percy while training him in sword fighting. And there's one point where Percy says, you know, he's trying to get out of it, basically. He says, oh, and then Luke finishes a sentence with, but you're weak and want to quit, which is a great, like, playful, friendly taunt. Mm -hmm. And I also love that the retort to this from Percy is him, while still fighting, saying lines with emphasis on each swing or block or whatever. He's trying to say, when am I ever going to use this in my daily life? Which is just such a funny parallel to school. Like when people wonder, when am I ever going (laughs) to use this in my life? And it's like, look, man, you're going to have to fight off some stuff. Luke was exactly correct. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Luke puts forth is that there's certain rules to fighting and one example of a rule is single combat. We cut back to the present and Percy suggests single combat and it causes Ares, Annabeth, and Grover to all say what? Which is hilarious. (laughs) But then causes... Aries to laugh maniacally like he thinks this is the silliest thing that anybody could suggest, which was so good. Such good acting, such good character development. I loved it. I agree. And it also kind of sets the stage for how Percy would win this fight and how Aries would lose because he's already going into the fight with such arrogance and such, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, confidence Mm -hmm. that it makes sense that when Ares does have the chance in the fight multiple times just to get a quick slash on Percy and go, I win, it's not about that for Ares. He's so confident that he doesn't want to just beat him in the fight. He wants to embarrass him. He wants to hurt him. He doesn't Mm want to just go, okay, bing, and then do like fencing where you just have to get one little touch on him to score a point. He wants to really milk it, and that's why in the fight he has multiple opportunities to slash him, but he instead pushes him or kicks him or whatever, does the cool body slam thing. Yeah, he's not fighting for his life. He's fighting for a point here, and that makes him make some arrogant moves. Yes, indeed. So Percy, before the fight begins, really tries to get Ares to be upset, we get a classic example of classic book Percy Jackson taunting to get people 
in the wrong state of mind as they pick up basketball trash talker. I love this. I'm glad we have it. And Percy gets Ares upset by saying that the whole plan wasn't even Ares's plan. He didn't think it up. He just went along with it. It was all Kronos. He's just a pawn. That gets Ares really upset. And then he ends his reply with, you know, he says something like, I'm going to kick your butt, blah, blah, blah. But then he just says, say hi to your mommy for me, which is such a good line. That's what Aries says yes, back yes. to Percy. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So Aries throws in a little bit with the mix, which a really painful gut punch of when you die, say hi to your mom. Say hi to your mommy your for mommy. me. It's so, <laughs> to add the mommy is so good. But then the fight begins. Aries does a really cool, I don't know if there's a wrestling move for it, but a big old slam that I'm sure Edge had tons of experience doing so cool. over the many, many years that he was a wrestler and still is. And then there's a point in the fight where he kicks Percy, but he kicks Percy into some water. Poor decision, Poor Ares. decision, Ares. Not the best strategy there. And then here comes a big wave. A huge wave comes from the ocean, and Percy reminds Ares of something that he had said earlier in episode five. He says something like, you keep thinking you know me, but one day you'll find out who I am. And when he says you'll find out who I am, he's got the big wave behind him. And the look of anger on Walker's face mm -hmm. is just such a good look. He looks so angry. And the shot of it is so nice, especially with the wave behind him. Oh, it's just such a really, really cool shot. This fight is so good. The acting is so good. The sword fighting is so good. My only complaint here is I could have watched an hour of just this fight. And it yeah. was so quick. Yeah. I mean, we got it spread out a little bit by having the Luke flashback and then having some trash talk. But the fight itself is pretty quick. However, I understand not everybody's here for an hour of swordplay. I feel like everyone would have liked a longer fight. <laughs> I wanted a longer fight. I feel like the fight in the book, like the actual fight itself isn't super long, but yeah. I feel like the buildup to the fight is more because we have some changes where in the book they fight in Santa Monica mm -hmm. and there's more stuff going on because there's like the cop car. There's the thing about his weapon changing mm -hmm. to look like different things. Like it's a baseball bat at one point then turns into the sword. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more setup. We get more of Percy's battle instincts and the ADHD coming into play and him noticing more stuff. And I think there's like cop cars and explosions and all this other stuff. Like there's more background stuff going on. But the fight itself is still pretty short. Right. I think the fight itself is still pretty short. I was disappointed that all of that other stuff wasn't there, but I also understand that it's really hard to do all that kind of stuff. This is one of those things where I think when you're going from book to screen adaptation, it's just one of those you can't make something as cool as what you see in your head. Mm -hmm. And I think they just kind of had to simplify it. And also this fight is taking place on the Montauk beach and not the beach in California. And at first I was really confused by that. But then when you see what happens later in the episode, it makes sense. So mm -hmm. I still liked the fight. I still thought the fight itself was cool. It was quick. I was a little disappointed because there wasn't all the other stuff that I really enjoyed from reading this fight in the book. But it's still pretty cool. And it's fun to see. Right. The police background and the explosions and the idea of what are the mortals seeing through the mist, I think was a really fun aspect of the books. However, and you and I debated this for a while, are they in Santa Monica or are they in Montauk? Right. The fact that they're in Montauk helps to move some of the plot after the fight along. Mm -hmm. Right. It's one of those things where at first I was confused and then by the end of the episode, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I get it. The fight is still pretty cool. And also it's one of those things where 
when you think about the TV show, we have a literal professional wrestler (laughs) fighting a 12-year-old kid. When you're reading a book, you can make that feel more believable. But like it would be hard to draw out a fight between a 12-year-old kid (laughs) and a grown adult whose career is based off of fighting. But then also in the context of the plot, it's going to be hard visually to make a 12-year-old demigod fighting an infinite-year-old literal god mm-hmm. it, like it's hard to make that look convincing so to make the fight go on too long i feel like there's too many traps of things either looking stale or not being believable i think for what happens which is basically after the wave crashes aries there's a point where percy rushes up aries blocks one thing and then percy gets him in the ankle real quick and then you see the mm-hmm. icker spilling out like when you think about logistically how percy would win this fight It had to have been something like that. It could not have been a longer fight and make sense. Yes, Percy has some sword training, but like if the fight is longer, Ares wins the fight. It has to be quick. Exactly. It has to be quick for Percy to win. Percy's looking for a surprise, chance, an opportunity. Ares is just looking to wear him down, which he will do very easily. Right. I'm just saying from the perspective of, I loved this fight, that I want more fights. I agree. And I hope that the general audience's response is, yes, I would have liked more, Mm -hmm. but I recognize that that's just not possible for a finale that has so much happen in so many things happen. And you mentioned, too, the wave that comes up over Percy. It's very cool because you can see it forming a bubble around him so that the wave doesn't knock him down. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, you didn't see that? No, that's it looks cool. like it's kind of like breaking around him. Oh, I didn't notice that. So it's that. not really, it's, that's why it doesn't yeah, knock him yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. It looks like there's some lines on either side of him that where the wave's kind of breaking around him and mm-hmm. then knocks down Ares so that he can come in and just like with a quick. Yeah. Jab to the ankle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So cool. Right. I still think it's cool. I hope people recognize, yes, we all would have been down for a seven hour finale and <laughs> a 38 episode season, but it's just not realistic and you're going to lose some stuff. Yeah. And it's fine. But I'm glad that the show seems to be doing well. And if we get future seasons and stuff, then we'll have to see do we get more than eight episodes? Are they more okay mm. with doing longer run times? Because you'll see that with shows like Ted Lasso first season, all the episodes are pretty short. By season three, it was like hour long episodes on mm. the reg. So. I think they'll have more flexibility, especially once the actors are above 18 and it's not as hard to film stuff with kid actors. Mm -hmm. Like, I could see a world where season five is 12 episodes and they're all an hour. Like, that could feasibly happen. Yeah. But Ares after the fight is also amazing because he gives them a very sarcastic clap of congratulations, saying (laughs) that basically the only thing he's won from this fight is a lifelong enemy. Yep. Then he does the transition into the divine form. They look away. And then we see the Montauk cabin is there. And I didn't notice this when it was in the dark version, like when it was at night in episode one, Mm -hmm. but it also has stained glass. So we have stained glass in the big house. And that was a really cool thing Mm. with that stained glass patio. Now we have stained glass here at the cabin. Lots of good stained glass stuff. And I got to say, like, I don't know how bad that septic tank smells, but it's like the (laughs) only cabin on the beach. It seems to be in a prime location, like a mostly empty beach. Like there must be a really smelly septic tank if there is staying there. It looks like a nice place. It does look very nice. It also, though, as he's walking up, you'll see there's like a broken down fence and it doesn't look like 
maybe the nicest, most well-kept beach. Mm. I mean, to me, it looks like an awesome beach. Well, you are from Texas, yes. where the beaches me, are the worst. Where the first <laughs> beach I think I ever went to was Galveston. Oh, loose definition of the word beach. To be fair, we didn't go to Galveston to go to the beach. We uh, just saw that there was water there. Um, but it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> it still is a very nice beach. Also, you you forgot to mention when Ares changed form, he dropped the helm as yes. he promised. Yes, he, he did. He dropped the helm, which Annabeth picks up, and mm-hmm. they walk towards the Montauk house. The helm, which does look super cool. Yeah. It's a very cool helm. Prop department doing very, very well. So they are in the Montauk cabin, and then Electo is there. And I love this, and I'm excited that she is back. We didn't get enough Megan Mullally. Mm-hmm. To have another episode of Megan Mullally is great. And I love the conversation that they have there. They walk in, and then the radio is playing some stuff, and you jotted down the entire quote, right? Yes, I walked. <laughs> I watched it again without you because you don't like subtitles. So I watched uh, look, it to, again. To be fair, when I watch these in prep for the show, I watch them once and then a second time with subtitles to make sure I don't miss anything. Oh, okay. So I notice it. But I do – you are such a big subtitles person, yeah. and I – can't stand them. I know you I can't. cannot stand them. So first of all, after the fight, the reason they look towards the house is because somebody whispers into the wind, Percy. Mm-hmm. And the subtitles tell us that it's Sally who said Percy. Do we think that was an electo trick thing? Or That's do we think what it was I was thinking. Actually, yeah. I think it was electo trick, lure Mimicking. him into the house kind sure. of thing. Mm-hmm. But the subtitle said it was said by Sally. Then you come in and the radio is saying, authorities are warning the public to expect severe travel delays as hundreds of flights are grounded as the FAA closes most of the country's airspace in response to violent seismic activity. The radio is very, very low. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually hear that if the subtitles aren't on. Right. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) They go on to say that this phenomenon is known as ionospheric disturbances and are typically caused by solar flares. Mm -hmm. So that's our first telling that the War of the Gods is going on right now and it's kind of touching the mortal world in a way yes and electo makes some sort of comment oh it was smart of your dad to use earthquakes to clear out the sky so mm-hmm. kind of commenting on how the war is shaking out then percy slams the helm down on the table and this is a recurring theme of episodes directed by jet wilkinson because the shield gets slammed on the table at the diner and then the helm gets slammed on the table here and then later in the episode when they go to the elevator on olympus they slam the bolt on the desk at the empire state building so funny lots of it makes of a very satisfying clunk as oh, it goes down such too. a good thud really good thud i would love to I didn't get to ever talk to anyone from the sound department, but Mm -hmm. if I ever do get to interview sound department people, I will ask about the thuds because they're really good (laughs) thuds. And I want to know if they recorded their (laughs) own thuds or if these were existing thuds. That'll be a question I'll have to ask when I do press junkets for season two. I hope everyone, please still contact me again. I want to do more of this. But then after dropping the helm down, Electo asks, what are you doing? Percy says, living up to my end of the bargain. Tell Hades I expect him to do the same. And he does say this all cool, like, but then he does pause and finish with, please. <laughs> <laughs> and this whole conversation rules, Megan Mullally rules. And something else that I think rules is Percy explains that the last time the gods had a war, it 
started World War II or it was the reason that World War II happened. And this is such a better version of Mm -hmm. the demigods started World War II because it's never fun to be like, well, Hitler was a child of Haiti. Like, it's so much better to just say that the war created another war as opposed Mm to particular demigod children started a war. Right. It makes it less problematic for people to say that they're a child of Ares or a child of Hades who we can assume in the book version would be considered the Nazi side. Right. I think this is an example probably of Rick doing a, oh, yeah, if I could do it again, I probably would have changed that. Like, mm-hmm. feels like a thing where he heard some commentary or read some forum a year after making the book. I was like, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it makes sense. Electo leaves. Percy tells Grover and Annabeth that he wants to go to Olympus because he wants to warn Zeus about the bigger picture. Annabeth is confused. She thinks the quest is done. We failed it. Why bother? And he says that this is bigger than the quest. And this, I think, is just such a good change. I know I was anxious and confused Mm -hmm. by the deadline passing after episode six. Yeah. And I know a lot of viewers were very upset. And this is why my take was, let's just see what they're doing here. I'm sure there's a reason. And this is the reason. And I love this as the reason because it seems like an overall intentional choice in this season of the show was let's get more of the overarching plot in it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's good because I feel like I gave more leniency to the book series knowing there are five and knowing that like the big picture would come into play eventually like there's a little bit of stuff there and then book two kind of but then book three it's like oh yeah dude Mm -hmm. i think it is smarter for a tv show that you're trying to bring in new viewers for Mm -hmm. you want to get the stakes set up as early as possible and i think it really does drive it home where percy is basically saying I don't care about the quest anymore. We we're way past quests at this point. (laughs) I think it's really smart. And I think it's true to something that Rick posted before episode seven aired, where he was saying like, everybody, don't worry. We're still going to get to the same end point. And I think that this is it. Like at the end of the day, nothing has really changed. That's truly important. Does it matter that they failed the quest? No, it really doesn't. And I think that the emotional stakes that they have brought in by making these changes are great. I liked being kept on my toes after Mm -hmm. episode six. It's fun not to know exactly what's going on. And I hope that a lot of the people who had the complaints about that and the four pearls thing now with these episodes being complete, I hope they realize, oh, I should have just been patient because I think this is really cool. I think that beyond just setting up for the larger overarching plot, this actually does more to develop Percy's character. 100%. Because in the start, he was talking to Luke about glory and how glory is something that you get through a quest. And he was saying, oh, so if I complete the quest and I get glory, then my parent has to listen to me. Or if I complete the quest and I get glory, then the gods will notice me kind of thing. And that was Part of his reason for going on the quest was for this idea of glory that Luke had instilled in him. The other reason was for his mom, obviously, but part of it was the glory of finishing the quest. The quest is failed, but he still wants to do it. So I think it shows a certain amount of character development that he still wants to finish the quest. I also think it shows development for Annabeth, too, who has been very quest hungry as well. When you take away the quest, it develops the character of these demigods even further to show that it's a sense of duty rather than a sense of glory. 
Right. And I think it kind of puts Percy and Luke even farther at odds because Luke is the one saying glory, glory, glory and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And even we know from the book wasn't really in the show. Luke was upset that the quest he did was like a repeat of a Hercules right. quest. So mm-hmm. he's all focused on that kind of stuff. Percy in the book a little bit, but especially in the show, he doesn't care at all. Like he didn't care about the quest. He mm-hmm. didn't want to do the quest. The only reason he did the quest was to save Sally. So now when the quest fails, he doesn't care. Told the narrated, I don't care. And then now here he's proving I don't care. <laughs> like right. he, he has right. a really solid understanding of what's really important. It's making Annabeth second guess that, which mm-hmm. is nice. You know, they're kind of doing the thing where they bring out the best in each other. Right. And I think it's really nice to see. And then the extra level above it is it's pushing Percy and Luke even farther apart. Right. Which is really good for what we're going to see later in this episode. The other change that you brought up, the four pearls, I actually thought that was a really cool change as well. So good. So good. The fact that Grover lost his pearl and Percy gives his mom's pearl to him Mm -hmm. makes it so much more a sign of friendship and understanding Because it wasn't, we have three pearls and I'm not going to leave one of you three behind, you know, one of us behind, but more of you lost yours, Grover, you messed up, but here's this second chance that I'm giving you. I thought that was really cool too. And I loved how quickly and how much it was not a discussion. It was like, no, 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 you're taking the pearl. Right. What's also interesting is something I didn't realize until later in that post that Uncle Rick made, Mm -hmm. he had said the narried gave the pearls. So the theory is not that Poseidon had the pearls. The Nereid gave the four. Mm. So I like that interpretation better. It seems like that's what Rick was implying. And I like it better because it doesn't make Poseidon too nice, (laughs) which is like (laughs) kind of like, I think it does make sense to make him nicer in the show because when you aren't having as much Percy internal monologue, you can't have him thinking about the complexities of Poseidon all of the time. Right. So I think it does make sense for the show to make him a little bit nicer, Mm -hmm. but not too much nicer because he is still supposed to be like not the best. And I think they are kind of hitting that groove Mm -hmm. nicely, maybe like a little past nice for my liking. But (laughs) when I finally saw that post from Rick, it was on threads. So I didn't see it until like later because I don't have threads because I was afraid of all of the four privacy things you had to accept. I was like, "Mm, I'm out on this. But I'm just afraid of another social media app. I just, look, I I just don't, don't need, need another it. one. I just don't need it. Not, I do Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. I'm good. I, <laughs> Sherry runs a TikTok. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that because then it's one less thing in the like Poseidon's two nice category. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Probably like everybody else, though, when they handed Percy four pearls, I gasped out loud and went, what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes it too mm-hmm. easy. But, but you got to wait. But, and I think episode eight is a perfect yeah, this is why you just wait. Like, there's so, oh, God, I just hope everyone who gave episode six crap goes to their room and thinks about what they did. <laughs> we just got to trust Uncle Rick has his hands in this and it's not going to go off the rails. No. We just got to trust, trust the process. Oh, thank you for bringing in a basketball reference. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did that Thank you. you so much. <laughs> and truly, like, not to be old man yells at cloud. <laughs> But I do think it is a little bit of like, I'm not even going to blame it on an age thing of like older generation versus younger generation. I think it's truly just like the types of media that people consume is what leads to that kind of stuff. Where do you see the complaints about that kind of thing? TikTok, Instagram comments, people who watch reels and TikToks who can't wait a week (laughs) to see what happens. Where do you not see a lot of negative comments? The discord for the newest Olympian (laughs) where people are more okay with listening to something that's an hour long and waiting for that. (laughs) I think 
<laughs> like I think it's totally fine. So I I think it's just like a difference in the way people consume stuff. Mm. Some people might not be used to waiting weeks in between shows. They might be used to the Netflix model where oh, you know, I love you just, the Netflix model. I don't. I really don't. I love it and I don't love it. There are some shows that drop and I just want to I want to binge the whole thing immediately. However, when Great British Bake Off is on and I watch it on Friday nights over my phone with my sister, I find that really fun because then once a week I'm, you know, I have this thing to sit down with and watch and Sometimes I like weekly make like a baked good, which is a very loose definition. Sometimes my quote baked good is like a Chobani flip or something like that. <laughs> which is yogurt <laughs> which is with yogurt. mix-ins. <laughs> One time I was like, this bowl of grapes is my baked good. <laughs> I think I made a baked good, like an actual baked good twice. <laughs> I like the weekly model because I feel like when it all comes out at once, it makes the show feel like homework. <laughs> it's like, oh, I got to watch all this right now. And especially, I'm so glad I don't watch Stranger Things anymore. But like mm. the new seasons are like every episode is six hours and there's 12 of them. <laughs> like, oh my God, I I have to sleep. I have to eat. Don't you people have jobs? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, this is why it's hard for you and I to binge certain series that are already out together because I'm of that model of, yeah, let's watch 10 in one day. And you get to this end of the second one. You're like, that's enough. And I'm like, but there's more available. And I want to know what happens. I have patience. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing that happens is Annabeth gives Percy her necklace as good luck. You missed my favorite line. Oh, what's your favorite line? My favorite line is when Annabeth says, you can't go to Zeus, he'll kill you. And... Percy says, I'm done running from monsters. Oh, yeah, it is a really Calling good Calling Zeus the monster. Yeah, it's a really Which is good another line. callback to, I believe, the first episode where his mom tells him not everybody who's a hero looks like a mm -hmm. hero and not everybody mm -hmm. who's a monster looks like a monster. Yeah, it's a great it line. It was a great line. It's a really, really good mm -hmm. one. So then Annabeth gives Percy her necklace as a sign of good luck. Is her necklace lucky or something? I don't know. I, I, I It's it's cute at the very least. And it's cute. Is it lucky? I don't think so. I think it is at least a fun thing because it was in the promotional images for Percy and in some of the social media clips that were going around of Percy going in the elevator for certain things a lot of people were like is he wearing annabeth's necklace oh my goodness <laughs> and i think that that is cool to at least have something that makes people go what? it's like it's it's cute it's cute i think it's cute and i like it it feels i don't know feels high school like wear my jacket wear my varsity jacket yeah. borrow my sweatshirt like take my <laughs> class ring and put it on your necklace i don't know it's, i thought it was cute and i like it i don't know that it necessarily has any relevance from the book but i just think it's a cute little thing yeah it's cute mm -hmm. grover also after this <laughs> Double so check. Are we sure that this can't just be an email? <laughs> it's so good. It's so and funny. as someone who thankfully does not have to have any boring meetings anymore, I was always in my engineering days a huge proponent of couldn't this meeting have been an email? So I love that Grover is on team. Maybe we can just solve problems with an email. <laughs> with an email. So Percy goes to the Empire State Building. I like that they make no reference of how he got there. And I think that's another reason why the Montauk thing makes sense. You don't have to worry about the flights and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Because at this point, Zeus is still waging war. And as we've heard from the radio, all flights are grounded right now. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't make too much sense for him to be flying across the country at this point. So 
another reason why we're in Montauk. Right. I'm guessing he hopped on the LIRR and got his way in mm-hmm. to the Empire State Building. But I think it's good. And I think, especially for a finale, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, let's just get to Olympus. I don't yeah. care. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep moving. Let's just go. So he gets there. He goes to the lobby, slams the bolt down. I was, again, super duper tiny minor thing. I was a little sad that the security guard wasn't reading a book because that's one of those fun things from the book. He was clearly reading Harry Potter in the first one. Oh. They make a joke about that. It's like the security guard was reading a book with a wizard on it or whatever. And then later I did some sleuthing and I believe the next time they go, he's reading Twilight. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, so like that's really funny. It would have been a cool thing, maybe too distracting or whatever, but like if he was reading one of the Rick Riordan Presents books or if he was reading like the Kane Chronicle, like Mm -hmm. it would have been really cool if he was reading something and everyone could have been like, (gasps) you know. Or if he was listening to the new Slimpian podcast or something like that. Like, look, (laughs) I will any, any, any sort of thing. It's funny. I have to continue to manifest things because it works. Apparently, in episode 31 or something, I was like, Disney, invite me to the premiere. Uh, and then they did. <laughs> so the fact that I have had like conversations with the production people, I don't have close enough connections at this point in time where I think I will have any involvement in the show. But if by season five, I could be an extra or something, that would be so cool. And <laughs> we're now at the point where it's like, Again, which has always been the thing, even when I started the podcast, I just knew, like, I don't know if I'll ever get Uncle Rick on the podcast, but it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. Maybe low percentage chance. I think now much higher percentage chance. But this is the same kind of thing where it's like, I don't know that this will ever happen, but it's not impossible. But it's not like, a zero it is, it is, percent chance. We've entered not impossible territory. <laughs> Maybe it's 1%, <laughs> but that's more than be. zero. <laughs> so gets there before he slams down the bolt. The security guard says like, oh, the tour's over there. He says, I'm not here for the tour. Slams the bolt. The guy looks shocked. And then he says he's here to see Zeus. Quote, I don't have an appointment, <laughs> which is great. Do you ever picture something from a book and then see the manifestation of that either in fan art or in a book cover or in a movie or something and realize the illustration of it is so off from what you thought it was going to look like, but it's entirely your fault. <laughs> what did you think about the Empire State Building lobby? No, <laughs> the the bolt. I thought oh. the bolt mm-hmm. was going to be a canister. That's how it's described in the book. Containing lightning. Yeah, it says it's more like battery looking. Yeah, that's oh. how they describe it in the book. It's oh, a canister. okay, so yeah, it's yeah. not my fault. No, it's okay. not your fault. It is Rick Riordan's fault. He, he pulled out the bolt and also they had like a bolt prop at the premiere that we right. looked at. I looked at that prop at the premiere and I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> what was I reading when I thought it was like like a test tube full of, like a yeah. large test tube full of electricity? Because that's yeah. what I thought it was going to be. Th- I think that's what it is. Oh, okay. You're good. Not my fault. No, you're fine. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. That does make me feel better <laughs> because it, it wouldn't be the first time that something was described. And then I see some fan art of it and I'm like, oh, I read that completely differently. <laughs> so Percy gets to Olympus. I'm glad we had the thing with... Hermes in the elevator earlier in the season Mm -hmm. so that we don't lose out on Percy taking the elevator. Yeah. But I think it's fine to have a big tonal shift would be strange. But Percy gets to Olympus. It looks very cool. It very much looks like one of those final levels that we played from Kingdom Hearts 3. I forget what the name is. It's like that weird thing, but all the like white stacked upon levels. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Hercules level. And I was like, it doesn't really look like that. No. It does look like one of the Final Fantasy levels, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forget what it is. Some like Latin name, which I maybe should know because I took Latin in high school. But (laughs) 
Percy is at Olympus, and then we cut back to another conversation between him and Luke. And Percy is basically slowly figuring out Luke's deal about how demigods are created to do things that the gods can't do. And Percy asks Luke, well, then shouldn't the gods be afraid of us, you know, just as scared of us as we are of them? And Luke says, exactly, but then warns Percy not to be small and scary because things that are small and scary get squished. And he relates that to Annabeth's fear of spiders, Mm -hmm. which I'm glad that that canonically got in there. Mm -hmm. And and especially because we didn't get the mechanical spiders in the Tunnel of Love. Right. Yeah, which it's funny. I got to speak with Daphne Olive, the staff writer mm-hmm. for the show. And this was something that isn't in the interview that we did that'll come up later. But about the mechanical spiders, Daphne's just like, we just couldn't do the spiders. Like, we just, <laughs> we just can't. This would have been way harder to do the can't, spiders. Can't do it all. No, just, yeah, it's CGI, like it's it's a whole mess. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's good enough. But then they got to do the chair thing, which I think is just cooler. Yeah. But yeah, I just love it. She's like, we just couldn't do the spiders. Yeah. <laughs> but we get the spider stuff in there. So then we come back to Percy at Olympus and we get Lance Reddick as Zeus, which is so cool, but also so sad because mm. Lance has passed and it's really bittersweet. But he's so freaking good. He's so good. He's so good. An amazing performance. Yes, I'm glad we got the performance. But it is sad that we're not going to get any more of it. But I'm glad we at least got this because, oh, my God. Very, very good. What a performance. And I got to tip my hat to Walker as well. He was acting very well in this scene. Mm -hmm. He was doing a good job. It is not easy. I'm sure it is not easy to be in a scene with such a talented, powerful, intimidating actor as Lance Reddick, Mm -hmm. who's being intimidating and powerful as a character. Yeah. Oh, man. And your character is supposed to be sassy back at him. Right. (laughs) Can you just talk smack to Lance Reddick? (laughs) Like wild. Absolutely wild. The one thing I didn't like in this scene. Yeah. The thrones. Yeah. They went with what they kind of did in the movie. I don't know if you can see all the other thrones. It looks like Zeus's is bigger than everybody else's. At least it's better than the movie. I think everybody's throne is exactly the same. Yeah. And I think they all look like they're carved with different things that might be different to their their personalities or something. But yeah, it's not the ways described in the book with a fishing chair and a workman's chair and all of that kind of really cool, funny stuff. Right. And I think, I don't know. And they're all small too. They're not like the large god size. I'm okay with that. I think the 10 foot thing is weird. Okay. I just think like it doesn't contribute anything. I think Mm. the gods can be scary enough without having to be 10 feet tall. I mean, look at how terrifying Lance Reddick was in this scene. You can do other things like when he screams (laughs) boy and thunder Boy and thunder <laughs> so show. Like, good. you don't need to make them 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. You don't have to deal like the CGI. It's just weird. Like, it looks so bad in the movie. I'm sure the show would have done a better job of it. They could have done the Lord of the Rings thing yeah. with it, but I think it's fine. I don't think the 10 foot tall thing really adds anything. Mm-hmm. And even when I read the books, I never really imagined them being 10 feet tall because I was like, this is just extra. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I just don't think it's necessary. I never really imagined the gods that big, but I always imagined their chairs that big. I mean, Zeus's chair was huge, even though he wasn't huge. Yeah, it wasn't for a 10-foot person, though. Yeah, but it was not for a 5- to 6-foot person either. No, no, yeah. (laughs) But I did miss the fun, whimsical chairs. I think that's really a fun thing in the book that it's like kind of found its way into the series. And I think this is an overall critique that I think is valid is that like this show is definitely not as goofy as the books. Mm. And I think that's an intentional choice because I believe with this show, they're trying to make it like a franchise that's cool. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to come in as a fantasy series and have like a bunch of jokes and stuff and then not feel 
childish. They're trying to appeal to an adult audience, a young audience, people yeah. who've read the books and people who haven't. And I think yeah. it's kind of hard to check all four boxes mm-hmm. with a bunch of the like whimsy and humor things. I would also love to see them in there. I can see why they didn't. Yeah. And I think maybe in future seasons they will have more hijinks and stuff. Like it's going to be hard not to do that when you have wedding dress Grover in book two. <laughs> so I think yeah. they might have more confidence to do more silly stuff. And there is still silly things like the what is love thing. The yeah, yeah. driving out of oh, the parking garage. Oh, there's tons of silly. Right. There's tons of silly. The there's not garage scene. Like, so, so good. funny. There are silly elements in the show. It's definitely not as much as the book. And I think that they are getting rid of some of the quirkier things. Mm-hmm. And I was sad not to see the Thrones there. But like given the tone of the rest of the show, I get it. But just like as a one for one thing that I wanted to see, thing that wasn't there, I would have loved to see the Thrones. Yes. Something I did really like from this scene, though, and it's been true throughout the whole season, is they really make the emphasis about family there. After Percy warns about Kronos and Zeus doesn't seem too bothered by it about Kronos, Zeus says, I know where he is, Kronos. I put him there. I know who he is. He's my father. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, had a different reaction. I never really imagined the Olympians as a family because Percy has said to us many times, Don't try to think too hard about how people are related on the God side. It's just a bit of a mess. So I've never really thought of them as a family. It was only recently when I started reading Percy Jackson's... Greek gods. Yeah, Percy Jackson's Greek gods that I started to know a little bit more about the origin stories of mythology and then maybe saw them as family. So for me, it was... I've never really viewed them as family. I viewed them as a collection of people. Because that's how they act, too, is a collection of people. Mm -hmm. But I like bringing the family stuff into the show because I think it makes some of the overarching themes more powerful, like Sally as a mother and how the gods can be better. And I think it's all building up to what will make a lot of sense in book five when Percy is given the choice by the gods to have anything he wants and he chooses, you all have to be better parents. I think, again, that's another example of taking a book five thing, setting it up from the jump so that Mm -hmm. the payoff makes more sense and feels more earned because... It made sense with book five, but from book one, Percy's big thing is, you know what would solve all these problems? If everyone just acted like a functional, real family where we cared about each other. So for him to kind of be on that train early on, Mm -hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense and I really like it. So one thing that I just had here after Lance Reddick delivered these lines, I wrote in my notes, everything Lance Reddick says is so cool. Please read me a nutrition facts label. (laughs) (laughs) But Percy says that the war can't continue. That's where Zeus goes, and the whole thunder. Oh, it's amazing. Very cool. They keep going. I just kept writing down Lance Reddit quotes because he said them so cool. Like when he said, like, I will not be weakened by my brothers. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> just so good. And Percy, who is not backing down, says, you already have been. And then he continues saying that Ares, your son, turned on you the moment someone stronger showed up. Mm-hmm. What do you think the rest of your family is going to do? Like, it's really good. And again, when he's talking about courtesy, he says, what do you think is going to happen when your dad shows up? So really driving the family point home and really talking smack to Zeus true to Percy Jackson form. I found it funny, but I've always loved it. Just really talking smack to someone who would have no problem killing him. And then Zeus proves that by almost zapping him with the master bolt. But Poseidon comes in 
to save him, to stop the zap, and he comes in to surrender. Mm -hmm. While they're talking about the surrender, Zeus calls Percy forbidden, and both you and I, when we first watched this, were like, ah. Get off your high and mighty horse. Uh, Look at the pot calling the kettle a pot. Like, "Mm." but Zeus, after calling out Percy for being forbidden, signs as, yeah, just like your Thalia, who serves as an inspiration for demigod heroes, Perseus is one of those Mm -hmm. heroes. And then they start talking in ancient Greek, asking with them talking about who knows about Kronos. And Zeus reveals that everyone knows about Kronos. So Zeus then says, that he will gather all the Olympians, they will have a meeting to discuss his victory and then talk about next steps. So I love that Zeus is staying true to form where he's just such a jerk. He is such a jerk. They've established that very, very well. Mm -hmm. And Poseidon is amazing. Perfect casting, perfectly dressed, perfect voice acting. Mm -hmm. Very, very good. He's doing a really good job. I'm intrigued to see what they do going forward with Zeus. I would guess that they just have a new actor play Zeus and not really make any mention of it. I don't think they're going to do something about like, oh, the gods can take any form and I look different, but everyone else is the same. Like, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they'll just recast someone with a similar vibe. My personal vote, Sterling K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown is great. It'd be so good. That would be a very good, a very good casting. Yeah, I agree. I think that they will go with the approach of change it and not really talk about it. 100%. Then Poseidon and Percy start talking. Poseidon to Percy says, uh, looks like obedience doesn't come naturally to you. And he says that he's partially to blame for that because the sea doesn't like to be restrained. So good. When you watched this the first time, didn't you think he said the seed does not yeah, like to be restrained? Yeah. Like he was talking about like, oh, yeah, my guys, baby. <laughs> this is why I need the subtitles. Otherwise, he's going, my seed doesn't like to be restrained. Oh, <laughs> I was like, whoa there. This is a okay, kid's show. All right, Poseidon. So then from this conversation, we learn that Sally taught Percy ancient Greek, which I love. Mm -hmm. It makes sense since we've already had the thing where Sally taught him the story. So Sally teaching him the ancient Greek makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then we get another example of a character thinking that they know what Percy is going to say or ask for. Poseidon thinks that Percy is going to ask him because he says, you know, can I ask you a question? And Poseidon thinks he's going to ask him about returning Sally from Hades. Percy didn't want to know about that. Percy was asking Poseidon if he ever dreams because Ares said that gods don't dream. And Poseidon says, of course we dream. Ares is a moron. Haven't you noticed? (laughs) And then Percy asks Poseidon if he ever dreams about Sally. And we get such a look of longing from Toby Stevens as Poseidon. Ah. (laughs) Oh, man. But then he takes out a pearl and... Drops it on the ground, says goodbye, so that Percy has to go back to camp. This is a good time for us to take our break for the final lightning brief of the TV show episodes where we'll talk about fun updates with the podcast, such as our upcoming live shows and stuff and the new merch that's back in stock. Woo! All that good stuff. Merch designed by Kelly Schubert right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get your stuff. But yeah, we'll be back after a quick break. Hello and welcome to the lightning brief, the final lightning brief for the episodes directly about episodes, but not necessarily the final thing about the TV show anyway. We are here and I've got a couple of updates for you all. First, this episode here is going to be the last Wednesday episode that we do now that the show has run its course. We're just going to get back to posting stuff on Mondays. At some point in the near future, I'm going to take a week off just because I am exhausted. (laughs) I've been posting so much stuff, but I got to figure out 
but I got to figure out exactly when that's going to be. So if you just go to the newsolympian.com slash about, you can see what the next four episodes are. And I might have some TBDs on there if I'm not exactly sure quite yet, but you can always check there to see what the future holds for the podcast. As I've mentioned a few times before, we'll do the stuff for the TV shows. We'll do the Sea of Monsters movies. Then we'll do the Lightning Thief, and then we'll get into Heroes of Olympus. It's going to be very, very fun. Also, another reminder, the Florida shows are coming up very soon. Torida is just a week and a day away. If you're listening to this on the day it came out, February 8th, 9th, and 10th, we will be in Gainesville and Tampa and Orlando with three different shows. So you can come to all of them and tickets are live at the newsolympian.com slash live. Johnny will be the guest and you can see what we are doing at each show on the Instagram. If you go to newest Olympians Instagram page at newest Olympian. Later in this episode, there will be something where I mention a potential Instagram crossover video with my friend who bakes professionally being posted. That is posted, so you can head on over to at Olympian on Instagram if you want to see that reel, and if you want to see the recipe as well, because the comment section has the full recipe for blue chocolate chip cookies. And I'm going to put a special version of it on Patreon because I had made a video to it, but I had used Dua Lipa's Levitating, and then Instagram was like, uh, actually, you can't do that. Uh, we have copyright things, but then you can just put in Dua Lipa's Levitating through their app and then not get the copyright infringement, but I had one that used the instrumental track and then the song and all that. I'll put that up on Patreon. Speaking of the Patreon, I want to thank the folks who have joined the Patreon most recently. Uh, thank you to everyone who has joined the Patreon at any point in time, people who are supporting currently, who have supported in the past, people who are thinking about supporting, people who are going to support in the future. All that stuff is just fantastic and I cannot thank you all enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you and thank you to the folks who have joined most recently. Shout out to our newest God to your patrons Kate Bow, Marsha Mosley, Leora, Avi, and Shannon McGill and shout out to our newest demigod to your patrons Sophia, Aspen is the best sister ever you're welcome Rowan, Elisa Moore and Jake K. Thank you all so much for your support. May Hermes bless you that if you're ever taking a taxi it does not take a long time for the cab to get to you and then for you to get to your destination. If you're all caught up on the newest Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, I make a whole bunch of podcasts. I'm an independent podcast boy. I think you would like some of the other shows that I make. And one that I make and I co-host with my buddy Adam Amawala is Horse. It is a comedic basketball podcast where we remove all of the gatekeeping around basketball and just help you understand some of the funnier things going on with the leagues currently and in history. We talk about current basketball things going on, WNBA, NBA, and then we also share fun stories from history. So it is a good, goofy little podcast. And even if you don't know anything about sports, come on in. The show is for all. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts by searching for horse or by going to our website, horsehoops.com. Now, before we wrap up here, unless you're listening on Patreon where you get ad-free episodes, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors to make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me and others of them won't be. The ones that aren't read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Mexico, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in Spanish. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. And we are back. 
Percy is back at camp and we get a really nice situation where Percy is coming back to camp. They have the thing where it's like kind of silent. So you've got the emotional feeling of Percy of him not really caring about the celebration. And then Annabeth runs up and hugs Percy. And this time the camera does show that he hugs her back. Mm -hmm. This was a big thing with episode five, where in the show, you can't really see that he hugs Annabeth back when she runs up and hugs him mm. after he comes up from the water. But then they released some promotional footage, like photography pictures taken from the filming and they put it on the social media and it was a different angle where you could see the person was hugging her back and everyone ah. was like, you didn't show this? What are you doing? <laughs> so I'm glad that this shot had it. He hugs However, this hug is not a romantic one. No. This hug is a strategic move. That's exactly what I put in my notes. I put, ooh, a strategic hug. <laughs> but yes, it's strategic because of the Clarice situation. She basically hugs Percy and then they talk about like, wait, what's Clarice doing here? Oh, oh, come over and talk yeah, with me. Do you see her over there? Do you see what's going mm -hmm. on? So then they have a meeting with Luke. <gasps> oh, no. And basically, Luke and Annabeth have been teaming up and trying to figure out what they're going to do here because it just would have been a terrible situation to accuse Clarice. Luke says that the camp was already starting to have factions, so that would have been a mess. So Luke then, who's definitely plotting for us book readers who know what's going on, he is plotting with Percy to say like, oh, let's have a secret meeting with Chiron away from the celebration mm -hmm. and no one will know. <laughs> so they go off to the side. Annabeth's saying like, okay, I'll stay back here. I'll check on Clarice. I'll make sure everything's okay. This is another strategic moment from her, but we didn't know it quite yet. But then we go off and something you picked up on that I didn't pick up on is that where Percy and Luke have their meeting is the same place we saw earlier where they were sword fighting. Yes. And all the flashbacks, <sighs> they were in this part of the woods with that kind of colonnade behind them. And now they're back at it, which is a really, really cool callback. Yeah, it's nice. So Percy is kind of putting it together what's going on pretty quickly into this conversation because mm -hmm. of the prophecy goes line by line. And I think that's something that happened in the book as well. Like what's interesting is that this conversation in the show is much more fleshed out than it is in the book. And the book yeah. gets pretty quick. Yeah. And then also Luke has the scorpion and everything. Yeah, Luke is there to kill him, not mm -hmm. to recruit him in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the direction they took this here. Yeah, it's very I, cool. I like it. I think it's good. I think people are going to like this change. So you will go west to face the god who has turned, mm -hmm. Ares. Mm -hmm. You'll find what is stolen and see it safely returned, mm -hmm. the, the bolt. bolt. Mm-hmm. You'll be betrayed by one who you call friend. This right. is where Percy suddenly realizes it's Luke. That hasn't really happened to me yet. It's Luke. Uh -huh. but then the question I have, and failed to save what matters most in the end, mm -hmm. is that actually Luke? That he fails to save Luke in the end? I think he still failed to save Sally. He didn't. Sally comes back. But he didn't save Sally. Yeah, he did. He got the helm for her. He exchanged the helm for her life. But he failed to do it in the moment. That's at least mm. the justification in the book. And I think that holds true in the show. Like, she does still get saved after the helm is returned okay. in both cases. But it's not really him saving her. It is Hades releasing her. I see. So I think it's true to form. Here, I started to think, is Luke what mattered the most in the end? Turning Luke back to good 
was what mattered the most, and he yeah, failed to do that. I don't think so. I don't think that's what it's going to be. We'll see mm. if the show does it later. I think that could be an interpretation. But it doesn't get to the fourth line, and I was like, wait, but I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that they're going to do that, but I like that as a theory. I think that's fun. So once Percy puts that together with the friend line, Luke tries to say, like, oh, prophecies are really vague. Uh, and, <laughs> and I feel like Luke, I guess this was just a surprise from Percy, because I don't know if... Percy ever told the full thing to Luke so maybe he didn't have time to come up with a cool lie but it feels a little bit like Luke you should have been practicing this you know like you know when you plan a <laughs> comeback is your friend yeah, yeah. Right, yeah like when you're you know when you're coming up with a cool line in the shower like you gotta come up with your retort here so Luke quick panics and tries to say that they are vague but then after Percy goes one by one mm -hmm. then Luke just has the turn at that moment mm-hmm so the fireworks in the scene rule, and this is something I talked about with Jet that I'll put in the interviews, but they are like intentional for the lines, which Very is cool. really cool. So then Luke's turn is when Percy gets to this line about you'll be betrayed. All Luke says is, I didn't know you would give them to Grover, which is mm -hmm. so good. Yeah. Oh, man, it's awesome. The facial expression from so Charlie as good. Luke, he is very talented. And I think something that's really cool is that you can tell this whole cool guy thing was an act because he starts talking a little differently. Like he starts mm. enunciating a little more clearly. He doesn't sound as confident. Like he sounds more shaken. And it's like, oh, right. The whole like, oh, yeah, I'm the cool guy. Cleo's oh, glory. Oh, <laughs> like that was the vocal fry Luke was definitely more of like, look how cool I am. And now it's like, okay. He's now a man we're with getting... a plan. He's the, not I mean, the laid back cool guy. This is a guy who will go on to canonically wear boat shoes. Like, he has to not be cool. <laughs> so the cool thing has to be an act. So Luke has this turn, and then he pulls out the poorly named sword, Backbiter. Does call it by name, Backbiter. Yeah. I don't know if Backbiter gets name-dropped in the first book. I'm not sure. If Again, that... it's cool. I think that they're setting up more of the story. Totally, totally. And But apparently now Backbiter can open portals. yeah. I guess that was never really a thing. Not that I knew of. But didn't he teleport away with a portal in... In the movie. Oh, He but had not... his weird little teleportation device. Because in the book, what happens? He's just got the scorpion, he's on the ground, and Luke just, like, goes off into the woods? I think so. In my brain, I just always felt like Cronus was teleporting Luke around. But hmm. this also could just be me confusing... The labyrinth? <laughs> no confusing Percy Jackson with Kingdom Hearts <laughs> because this is such a Riku move. Riku, once Riku. he starts being evil, uses his sword to open up portals. Yeah, that's so true. when this happened, I was just like, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> He's Riku now. Yeah, why not? So then he talks about how it can open secret doors. The secret door effect is really cool. Very like cool. when it finally does open and he cuts the slash in it and mm -hmm. it, it like the effect looks awesome. Very it, it looks like, I don't know what they did, but I, I think they actually had like some sort of like cloth and then put lights over it. Like it looks, Perhaps, yeah, it looks super really cool. Not only is Luke's tone cool in this scene though, Percy's tone is great because he is gutted. He is pleading with Luke that mm -hmm. this isn't him. This is Kronos. And he's saying that Kronos got to you through the dreams. And Luke says, no, he opened my eyes to the truth. Uh, it's just great. It's Fair. really, really good. Yeah, it's I really, really good. I absolutely love what they did here. Mm -hmm. Then they start sword fighting a little bit. Luke mm -hmm. says, you did get better, which is cool. I love that like Luke can't drop being his mentor, uh, oh, especially it's, it's in the so recruitment cute. scene. It's oh. so sad. Uh, and then at one point, 
he has Percy, I think at sore point, he says last chance. And then Percy kind of does like a slide move. He slashes. He does get Luke and immediately apologizes after, yeah. which is perfect. Oh, it's so good. And then Luke hits him with a bit of a cheap shot, which is also well, perfect. Then Luke gets angry. Up until this point, he's been holding back a little mm-hmm. bit because he's still trying to recruit him. Mm-hmm. Percy has now drawn a little blood. Luke's angry and he's like, all right, recruitment's over, kid. Mm-hmm. Time to end it. Yeah, we get to see a bit of the Luke rage. Mm-hmm. And then something that had me very, very surprised, Annabeth, Annabeth showed up. Yeah. And she said she witnessed the whole thing. She heard everything. Said, I heard everything mm-hmm. in the tone that I imagine her saying, you were like a brother to me. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, speaking of that line, though, I think this is going to seriously changed the Luke and Annabeth dynamic. It does change it because you can see Luke is shaken by Annabeth being there. Luke Mm -hmm. is shaken. Annabeth is hurt. Luke is maybe a little embarrassed. I mean, he immediately runs off Mm -hmm. after he sees her rather than trying to take on both of them. She doesn't have a weapon anymore. He could take them both if he wanted to. Right. But it really intensifies that dynamic between the two of them, Mm -hmm. I think. I'm really intrigued to see where they go with this because I feel like this season kind of took away some of the Annabeth having a crush on Luke's stuff, which Mm -hmm. I think is fine. I don't think it's a super necessary plot, especially where it gets towards the end, especially with the age difference. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's okay. I feel like this might have repercussions on Annabeth's behavior in books three, four, five, when, and honestly, I think this will be a good change. I was kind of annoyed with Annabeth in books four and five when she just like (laughs) wouldn't open her eyes. Like, I get that it was supposed to be a thing where she had clouded judgment about Luke, But, like, it went on a little much where I was annoyed by it. And I I get that that's, like, kind of the point, but I wouldn't be opposed to that not being there as intensely in the show. What I like about this intensification of their relationship is it's not, like, a longing lover's look between them. It is a brother and sister, a friend and a mentor. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of look, and it intensifies their relationship but not in a romantic way, which I never entirely was on board with Annabeth putting away her logic for a boy Mm. in the first place. Mm. And so, Mm. but Annabeth wavering in her logic for a friend, I do kind of see that. So it'll be for a brother. It'll be interesting to see where they go with that. If they want to keep her romantically interested in him or not. Yeah. Because I think you can get all of those same stakes, like you're saying, and make it because she does Love him like a brother. Like she can have all (laughs) the same things. The only thing you will lose out on is Percy Jackson, jealousy boy. Which is usually in his head anyway. That's the thing. I think that's actually really hard to convey in the show without making Percy just look like a jerk. Yeah. And I think in the book it works well because he would have these thoughts and then he would think to himself, oh, I know I'm just being jealous or I know that this isn't fair. Stuff like that. That's hard to convey in the show. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the writing staff noticed that and really thought about it and figured, okay, we can't do this. It's going to be a mess. Let's switch up the dynamic. The age thing is kind of weird anyway. The age difference and they they do look different in age the actors Mm -hmm. look different in age and so it would make it a little weird at least to show it at this point as they both get older as annabeth gets older maybe it'll be a little less weird to show that she had a crush on him which is also like totally a thing for young girls to have a crush on older guys as long as nobody's acting on it right but it is like a very especially camp camp counselor type thing like for sure right so it'll be interesting to see where they take this yeah but i'm really intrigued and i hope that people 
are my level of, oh, I'm really excited to see what they do with this, yeah. as opposed to people being like, she's not to be there. Like, I, it's, <laughs> this change will set up something interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it will be fun. Let's see what they do. Yeah. Overall, with all of this, I think it just makes so many things earned. I think it makes the whole Luke Hermes thing earned. I think it makes so many instances of bringing in the bigger Luke arc into the season. Mm -hmm. This whole scene just made it all make sense and made it all worth it. The other thing that made him lunge, besides Percy actually slicing him, the first thing that makes Luke lunge is Percy says, I met your dad. Mm. And Luke doesn't even let him finish the sentence. His, that rage is in his mm-hmm. eyes and he's mm-hmm. he's starting the fight. Yeah. What's also fun at this point, this episode is only like 40-something minutes. It felt like 90 minutes worth of content. Yeah. Like, it just felt it was so good. like so much. Because I think when this fight was happening, I moved my mouse just to kind of see how much is left in the episode. And there's still like a lot yeah, of time left in the episode. I did that multiple times. I did that multiple times. I was like, it's, am I like making any progress in this at all? Yeah. Is it almost over? Because it's it feels like it's about they to be did over. such a good job of putting so much in but not making it feel rushed like it felt fast-paced but that's because it is a fast-paced thing i don't think it felt rushed or crammed mm-hmm. or like they left anything on the mm-hmm. table so then after all of this happens percy and annabeth are back you have this scene of chiron being proud of percy which i like i want percy and chiron to have more of a connection yeah and i hope they continue to establish that over the course of the season because i feel like we're not exactly there yet Mm, And I think mm -hmm. we can get there in a future season where we have more time at camp. I think like beginning of season two, we can get that. And this scene gave me confidence that that will happen in a future season. Right. He talks like a mentor to Mm -hmm. Percy. Mm -hmm. Also, note, has Percy worn this cool yellow jacket yet? Because this is a very cool, very very yellow jacket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like it. It's good. You are a big fan of yellow. It's your favorite color. It's great. (laughs) We then get a hilarious comedic scene, which is good because we haven't had comedy in a minute. Oh, before that. Oh, sure. Before that. Chiron's doing his mentor thing to Percy and he says that he wants him to take an armed escort with him and Percy's like I don't think Luke is trying to kill me and Chiron's like I know that's what I'm worried about too he's trying to recruit you Mm -hmm. and Percy's like I'm not interested in that and Chiron points out something that I think is really cool Chiron points out but when Luke was telling you why he's doing this it sounded a little compelling to you didn't it and I think that's what makes Luke such a great villain is that what he's saying makes sense. And it's a compelling argument. That's what makes a good villain Mm -hmm. is to have a compelling argument, a drive that people could get on board with if your methods for doing that were just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Like Thanos, right? Well, I was actually going to say the reverse. My go-to, I always say Killmonger is always my example. Killmonger is a great one, too. I was going to say Thanos. Well, Thanos is just whack. He should have just doubled the resources and doubled the size of the earth. He's an idiot. That's what I mean, (laughs) is he has a good point. The world, the universe is Mm -hmm. overpopulated. What We need to fix this. Mm -hmm. And his methods are wrong. Kill half the people, Mm -hmm. right? That's the issue. Killmonger, same thing with there needs to be more equality. Mm -hmm. People have been left out for too long. All right, we're going to kill all the people who left this out. Like that, It's a compelling villain because they make sense. Mm-hmm. And that's what Chiron points out is Luke made sense to you, didn't he? And I actually forget what Percy responded because I was so like, whoa, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm sure Percy responded something along the lines of, yeah, but I'm not interested. Right. So then we have the scene of... Mr. D going around telling everyone to leave. And it's so fun. Manzoukas is just so So good. So funny. When they're talking to Percy, he goes, Percy? But says it in a way like not what the follow-up is. 
where the follow-up is, I, yeah, I thought it was Peter. And then they just have a back and forth of like, I are thought you, it was, are you, sure? I'm, are you sure? I'm pretty sure it's Peter. He's like, I think I know my own name. It's Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson. <laughs> yeah, was, he he was, turns was, to the camera, breaks the fourth wall and goes, it's Percy well, Jackson. Yeah, I was waiting for him to go, it's Percy Jackson. Turn to the camera and the Olympians on Disney Plus <laughs> Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Easter. You know, see the whole thing. So then Mr. D basically. Can you imagine? <laughs> so good. So this is why I'm not in charge of any decisions on any television show. It would be a mess. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just seeing it in my head. I know. It's so funny. Look, look, it'd be good. Hire me to do like funny social media Promo. promos. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but then Mr. D is a thing where he just says like, I don't care. And then he walks off and he's like, Tell people, like, everybody who's not sitting here for the full term, get out! You get out! You're gone! Get out of here! So good. So good. So So then we go back to Thalia's tree, and we have Percy there and Annabeth there. She has new hair. It looks very cool. Yes, her new hair hair situation looked awesome. Yeah. And I like that Percy showing full growth, is being nice to Annabeth about the tree. <laughs> Saying something about like, oh. But also bringing up the tree so that we can set up season two a little right. bit more. Sets that up, but then tries to like, go. it's the thing where like you try to be nice, but you do it in the wrong way where he says something like, oh, how does the tree feel about all this? <laughs> and it's like, it's a tree, Percy. And he's like, okay, uh, how do you feel about all this? <laughs> so then Annabeth is talking about her plans for the break her dad wants to take her to new york so she says she has to pretend like she hasn't been there before and then she says that he's going to bring her to disney world and she makes a joke about it being similar to waterland but it's supposed to be fun and then i just know people are going to be so mad about this really people, oh, people i thought it was are, so funny it's funny but people are going to be like wow cash grab from disney i thought it was hilarious as if disney needs to promote <laughs> disney world as if people yeah. don't know about it like it gave me vibes of you won the super bowl what are you going to do yes, next yes i'm, I'm going go to disney, disney world. world like it's People are going to get mad, and I'm going to be so mad at them for being mad. They're going to be like, wow, they had to get the product it's placement hilarious. in the show. It's a good joke. Don't overthink it. It's as close as we get to Percy breaking the fourth wall and going, <laughs> 9 p.m. Central. <laughs> 9 p.m. Eastern, Kelly. Sorry. But, yeah, I just, uh, I know people are going to get mad, and it's going to be so silly. It's going to be so, so, so silly. So but then Grover runs up, and I realized at this point I've missed Grover. It's been so long without Grover. Oh yeah, we've been I miss Grover. Grover. And he comes up, and he has this cool flower on his shirt, and that is his searcher's license. I love that. I always imagined the searcher's license as like a laminated like driver's license. Yeah, me too. The flower is so much cooler. Flower's I love cute. the flower. It's great. He talks about how so much of the world has been searched for already to try and find Pan, but no one's thought to check the seas. Mm-hmm. So we're setting up the Sea of Monsters mm-hmm. and person. He has a great reply where he says, let me know if you need any help. Quote, I know some people in management out there. <laughs> what a great line. <laughs> what a great line. Then Percy makes a pact with the three of them. Hey, no matter what, let's make a pact to meet back here in a year. They do a group hug. There's a swell of music. I teared up. It was adorable. <laughs> so cute. Then we're back on the beach. And I was very confused. Back like, in Montauk. What? All of a back sudden. on Montauk. Oh, interesting. And then he's talking with Sally. <laughs> and then... Sally says, after a little conversation, it's time to wake up. And then I was like, oh, okay, this makes more sense because him being a Montauk would have been weird. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I need to go find my mom. She's not in our apartment. She's certainly in Montauk. Right. Let's go there. So I love then that Percy, when he realizes this is the Kronos thing, he goes, we're doing this again? <laughs> I won. You lost. Just 
great trash talking. And then Cronus really sets up the stakes, Mm -hmm. trying to say some ominous stuff about Percy, not sounding like Percy got the win on him. He tells Percy that Percy's survival is the key to his return, which is true with the great prophecy. Really solid. But then Percy wakes up Mm -hmm. from the dream. Sally's waking him up because seventh grade is about to begin. And I have to say, as a New Yorker, the New York noises were so authentic. (laughs) It sounded just like a street would in Midtown, or I guess they're farther up north. But like it it just sounded like a true Manhattan street because they had car horns honking and then a truck reversing like it felt very much like <laughs> it when sounds we were like in somebody went to our apartment and set up a boom mic and just let it go off for a little bit and then put it in the background truly a hundred percent it was so authentic i wouldn't be surprised if that's what they did for the audience <laughs> our apartment really oh, oh wow look i know we rented that out i have hours of audio of me waiting for sirens to leave from our old place that they probably could have used it it's free source material. If they take it from your podcast, there's your cameo right there. Boom. I found my way in. New street noise. <laughs> so Percy <laughs> calls Chrono's grandpa, which yeah. I had never thought of it as so funny. Yeah. And then Sally tells him, don't call him that. And I love Sally is a dream journal to write down all the things that he yeah. said. I think that's really, really smart. Mm-hmm. But then Percy, when Sally asks, what did Chrono say this time? He waits a beat and then says tell your mom how much you love her and then sally's like "Mm, the lord of time told you that and like i get that this is a cute thing but also like percy you should probably tell sally what he said (laughs) it's probably in your best interest that you have as much information as possible then we see this action montage of percy getting ready for school and we see blue pancakes blue pancakes and blueberries i love it it's such a great shot And it's so well framed and filmed. And it's another thing I talked to Jet, the director, about. Like, it's such a good shot. Mm -hmm. And I also think doing blue pancakes makes sense. Because did blue pancakes ever get mentioned as a thing in the books? Or was it just the chocolate chip cookies? I know he talked about the blue food. Maybe blue pancakes were there and I'm not remembering it. But regardless, I think the pancakes make way more sense than showing the chocolate chip cookies for multiple reasons. One, it's the morning getting ready for school. It's breakfast. But also... If anyone has ever tried to make blue chocolate chip cookies, you know they come out a little green. <laughs> like There's nothing you can do. They come out a little green. And I did a collaboration that I don't know if it'll be out at the time of posting with one of my friends from Rice, who is now a full-time food blogger and stuff. And we did a collaboration where she made blue chocolate chip cookies. They were so good. And then good. we made a video. They were really freaking good. They were good. really they were blue, re- too. Yeah, so I came over and she said... Oh, like I did it. I'm really sorry. Like they kind of turned green a little bit. And I was like, I have seen so many photos of them. I've seen lots of people do these. My listeners, you made them a couple of times. Like I've seen a lot of instances. These are the bluest ones I have ever seen. They look like cookie monster blue. So that's the color blue. That's funny that you said it. She said the recipe was inspired by a cookie monster recipe. That's so funny. Because I think there's a cookie monster recipe that she found that involved like chocolate chips and then something that was white, maybe like peppermint or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then she altered that to take out that to make it just the blue chocolate chip cookies. But they were so good and they were the bluest ones I've ever seen. But it was just so funny that she was like, I'm so sorry they came out kind of green. I was like, everyone's come out kind of green. So I see why they did the pancakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's an awesome shot. And then they're getting all ready for school. And while this is going on, you get a narration from Percy that's more optimistic at this time saying like, you know, if you see yourself in the story, don't give up hope just yet. We might need you, which is a nice contrast to the opening thing. I really like it. 
And I really liked this scene of Percy and Sally getting ready and having fun, the blue food and stuff, because this is something Johnny and I talked about in our episode seven episode is that we haven't had a ton of like Percy, Sally being buddy, buddy friends and stuff. We get mm. a little bit of it in episode one, but then all the other stuff is flashbacks and it's like swimming lesson, which was kind of bumping up against each other. Yeah. And then same thing with going to the school and the Subaru and all that. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see another like Percy and Sally being like a team. You know, they're talking about the dreams. They're getting ready for school. She's making the blue food. They're going out the door. Or like, I loved ending the season on a very happy Percy Sally note. Yes. I think it's great. But the season has not truly ended because first we get the in memoriam, in loving memory of mm. Lance Reddick, which was really nice to see. Mm-hmm. And I liked that it stayed on frame for like a good chunk of time. Yeah. Like, I really like that. Then we get the credits. And then after the credits, we get the smelly Gabe thing. Yes. And I had wondered about this throughout the episodes. Are they going to kill Smelly Gabe? Is Sally going to kill Smelly Gabe? And I didn't think they were going to until the Aries phone thing. Then I was like, okay, his death is back on the table when he's on the news broadcast and Aries shows them at the diner. Then I thought, all right, he's back on the table to die. Mm -hmm. And I, at that point, (laughs) felt like it was going to be similar to the movie thing. Like, he will die, but it won't be direct. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I ever voiced that on the podcast, but I promise that's what I was thinking. And then (laughs) this happened, and it's such a great scene because he's coming back. He's on the phone with some sort of lawyer that feels like one of his friends, and he doesn't realize how expensive a lawyer is. And he says (laughs) something about, like, oh, you know, first my wife divorces me, and now she's changed the locks, and... So funny. He does the thing. He has this really funny line where he asks, what am I supposed to do? And then clearly the person on the other line is starting to give advice. He goes, no, no, no. How do you pick a lock? (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) And then the box is there, the return to sender thing. And I love this as the choice because the thing in the Lightning Thief movie with like the padlocked fridge with the don't open under any circumstances thing. Oh, yeah. That was just so far-fetched and weird. And like, would Percy have done that? Did Sally know about it? The no, like, this is weird. Mm -hmm. The return to sender thing makes so much sense because it's something that actually happened in the book. Like, the gods do return to sender it to Percy. And Percy sends it to his mom as a way of empowering her. However, it also makes her into a murderer. Right. So I do like that she gets her empowerment by... Divorcing him and changing the locks. Correct. But she is not made a murderer. Yes. Instead, Smelly Gabe is made into, he commits a felony. Yeah, you can't open someone else's mail. He Mm -hmm. opened Percy's mail and he pays for it. Mm -hmm. Look, you do the crime, you spend the time, eternity as as a statue. But yeah, I, I love this. This is just like such a creative solution that is still canonically true in terms Mm -hmm. of the return to sender being there. And what's funny about the return to sender is that the way the address is written is way too formally done. Like it says like the full thing of like East 104th street and first Avenue. (laughs) Like it's not written in the way that it would normally be written. So it feels true to the gods, like not necessarily doing it as true New Yorkers. I also think if you return to center, you don't have to write all of that. Like it's got his return address on it. You could just put return to center, but Gabe opens the box and then turns to stone, and that is the end of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Ends it on a little cute, funny note as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Ties up that loose end very nicely. Mm-hmm. It was just a great ending to the episode. Really solid. Great ending to a great episode and a great final episode in a great season. I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was so wonderful. I am very excited for future seasons. Me too. Very, very excited. I want to know how far they're going to take it. I mean, it's got to be all the way. I mean, okay, so yeah, it's going to go all the way for the original series. Mm -hmm. But then 
Oh, they'll do Heroes of Olympus. They might have to recast and stuff. That's what I was going to say. Is I wonder if they'll recast they for will. every subsequent series because yeah, they probably the will. kids are just going to get so much mm-hmm. older. And will they recast? Will they do Trials of Apollo? Will they recast? Will they, I don't even know what that one's about. I haven't read it yet. So, you got to get on it. Like I, I started wondering this the other day because I'm rereading Heroes of Olympus right now, and I was like, I want to see the TV shows for this. I mean, they're much longer. You know that much because you've seen the books on our shelves. Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. much longer. But if they establish themselves enough with this first series, oh, man, I, as I'm reading it this time around, I'm like, I want to see that in special effects. I want to see that in special <laughs> effects. <laughs> It'll be really fun. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining. This was very fun. This was very fun. This is not the end of all of your episode eight discussions because we will be doing the patron five over at Patreon where I ask you five questions about the episode. So oh. if people want to hear more about that, head on over to the newsolympian.com slash Patreon. And this is also not the end of the coverage of the TV show. I don't want to do too many episodes about TV show stuff now that the show is completely out because I want to get on to the other episodes and then get on to Heroes of Olympus. Heroes of Olympus. But I am going to do an episode with folks just kind of talking about the full season just so that we can talk about like overarching themes and stuff because Mm -hmm. we've really kind of kept this to as much as we can episode by episode. So I think it'd be interesting to talk about like overarching themes Mm -hmm. and I'll talk with folks who don't have the same background that I do. So someone who has seen the movies only and then someone who only watches a show and nothing else. Ooh, so get a full. It's going to be with Kyle Banduho who has seen the movies but not read the books. Yeah. And then Rowan Ellis who has consumed nothing Percy Jackson except for the show. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to hear those yeah. perspectives. So I think that'll be a really fun yeah. one. But I don't want to do too much stuff and I've got some interviews as well. I want to know specifically if Rowan is confused by the blue food. Uh, I don't think they've ever really explained why. Yeah, they just show the candy and then the pancakes. <laughs> they just see, like, you just see a bunch of blue food start popping up. Mm-hmm. So I am I wonder if Rowan picks up on the fact that they're all blue and is confused by that. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting yeah. and it'll be fun. So we'll still have some other coverage. But Kelly, thank you so much for joining listeners. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, when we put something on the feed that will be show related, but I got to figure out exactly the order in which we're doing them until then. I'll see you later. <laughs>
social media or reaching out to someone that you think would like the show or just leaving us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you are using. All of those things help. Spreading the show's existence via word of mouth is essential for the podcast, so I'm very appreciative to anyone who has done that in the past or will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode where we'll be joined by staff writer Daphne Olive to talk about all things season one of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey, Vernon, it's going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So on my walk to the subway today, I passed a whole bunch of pigeons nesting underneath the subway rails, some of the above ground outdoor subway rails, and you could hear them chirping and stuff quite loudly. So here is that sound to close out this ASMR Mike segment. for listening ohio ready for some quick mental health facts let's go nearly two million ohioans live with a mental health condition in the u.s more than 50 percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide so why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.